Hello and welcome to the JJ Reddick Podcast. We have a great show for you today. I'm excited to have on the executive director of the NBPA, Michelle Roberts. We always, that is the PA, always airs on the side of player freedom. Um, and if, if a reduction in player freedom is the cost for, quote unquote, more parity and more competitive balance, we will resist. Michelle is someone that I've tried to get on my podcast uh, a few times and uh I'm really excited to have her on today. We talk about a bunch of things. It's a it's a really wide ranging conversation, um, but we talk about the the fan backlash of Cavs versus Warriors round four, why NBA players have more freedom to express themselves than some other athletes in in different sports leagues, and what the NCAA, the NBA, and the NBPA is doing about the one and done issue in college basketball. We hope you enjoy. Thank you all for tuning in. We have a really interesting conversation with Michelle Roberts coming up. Before I get to that, just wanted to talk about the NBA Finals. It's really interesting that this is round four of Cavs-Warriors. And maybe at the beginning of the season, this seemed inevitable. But if you go back at different points in the season, you could make an argument that the Rockets would have been here, the Celtics would have been here, the Sixers would have been here. You know, the the drama along the way is really why we watch sports. But I do understand if you're a fan, why you would be, I don't want to say bored, but but potentially bored with the fourth iteration of this matchup. Um, I would say as a basketball fan, um, I think there's a lot of interesting storylines here. Um, if LeBron could somehow pull this off, uh, you know, anyone would have a really hard time making the argument that he's not the, the greatest of all time. I already think he is. Um, but if he was able to pull this off, I think you could then say it's it's done, it's over. He is the greatest of all time. Excited to have Michelle Roberts on the show today. Um, I can remember in 2014, uh, we had a big meeting. Uh, a bunch of players came out to Las Vegas um, we were in transition trying to decide on who would be our next executive director after Billy Hunter. And there were three candidates that we all got to interview. There was a couple hundred players in the room. The candidates presented. Uh, we asked them some questions. Michelle, far and away, stood out. You know, she's extremely intelligent. Uh, she's passionate about what she does. But the thing that stood out the most for me in hearing her talk that day was there was an altruistic reason why she wanted to become the executive director. She talks a little bit about in our conversation, how she has this sort of mama bear mentality, but I think she genuinely has the player's best interest at heart. And she says it all the time. She says players first players only. She talks about reclaiming our union. She has done that. She's been an amazing executive director I think all the players are, are happy and, and we feel like we're, we're very blessed to have her as our executive director. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Michelle Roberts. All right, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me on, uh, on the podcast. Um, we've tried to make this happen a few times in the past. We so have. I'm really excited that we, we finally got this done. Uh, we are... A day away 
from the fourth iteration of Cavs yeah. Warriors. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Do, do yes, you, we are. Do you, think, do you think that it's fair for uh, the average NBA fan or even the more dedicated fans who maybe are part of NBA Twitter hmm. to have a little bit of um, backlash against sort of this <laughs> series happening again? Of course not. Uh, look, I mean, we unless there is a decision, and I'm not aware of any pending decision to change the rules. Finals means best team in the East versus best team in the West, and this competition has demonstrated who those teams are. Um, look, I'm, I'd be the first to say it would have been an interesting difference. Having said that, I want to see the best team in the East play the best team in the West, and that's what we're about to see. So I can't wait. Are you surprised that the Cavs made it back? I'm going to say yes, and I hope no one <laughs> on the Cavs team <laughs> takes that as insulting. But and it's not necessarily because of the the the, the actual players, but just the, the mid season change in roster. I thought was going to be so disruptive that it would be difficult for that team to gel and, and be able to capture a championship, an East Coast championship. So I, I am surprised, um, but watching it was great fun, and I do believe that they have established themselves, sorry, JJ, as the best team on the East Coast, so good for them. I think part of it, too, the, the playoffs are really about matchups, team matchups, one team's concepts versus another team's mm -hmm. concepts, individual matchups. Mm -hmm. Can this guy match up with whoever? Who are you targeting? Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen that more and more, and I think the difference is like LeBron is just is so smart and is able to manipulate so many things. And I think for us, the Sixers specifically, I I think we would have been a, a not the Celtics went seven, of course, right. with the with with the Cavs, but I right. think we would have been a different matchup for the Cavs. This the Celtics were obviously not a great matchup for us this season. All right, I, no, I, I I couldn't agree with you more, and which is why some of the, the standings are somewhat interesting. I don't think, and I'm sure teams don't do things like drop to avoid certain teams. I'm sure that doesn't happen. But but a lot of a lot of the luck that occurs, uh the, the landscape of of the East, I think in particular, could have changed quite dramatically had there been different matchups. But what I particularly enjoy about the finals is you, know, you don't have I mean I I know every team and players routinely try to scout out the team they're about to play tomorrow. Uh, a seven game series I think is fascinating for the possibilities that 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 can occur when coaches and players have now a chance to concentrate on the guy playing that their position, uh, their opponent on the other side, and and tweaking the game and and, and the strategy as the games continue. Um, so matchups for sure, but also the the coach of the team that's successfully able to rebound from a, a less than stellar performance the day before, the night before, two days before. And that's what makes the finals so di so different to me. A great example of that was in the Western Conference Finals. Golden mm -hmm. State wins game one by 41. Right. And then games four and five are in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you had looked at those, you know, those three games really, mm -hmm. you know, side by side, you're like, how is that the same right. two teams playing each other? <laughs> but it's those, 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 you know, adjustments that can be made. Yep. Going back to the backlash part. Sure. Because um, I have an issue with this. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really, I feel like when I was growing up, it may have felt inevitable that Jordan and the Bulls would be in the finals. Mm -hmm. But I was still fascinated and entertained mm -hmm. along the way. Mm -hmm. And 
they won six six straight with yeah. with with Jordan in the nineties. And it maybe I just maybe because tw- Twitter didn't exist, but maybe there was that <laughs> That's what there was. wasn't that like complaining level about the inevitability of this. Yeah, I was talking to someone who lived in Miami during the Miami's reign and pointed out that when I was in Miami, I loved the dynasty. Uh, I don't live in Miami anymore, and I'm living in a place where there's no dynasty. So I hate dynasties, <laughs> and that's kind of that makes sense. I mean, the, the, don't, no one in Golden State is complaining about no one in the Bay Area is complaining about Golden State being back in the finals again, nor in Cleveland. So I mean, we we're all a little jealous if it's not our team that's that's dominating the the, the playoffs at the end of the day, year after year. I grew up when the Lakers it was either going to be the Lakers or. Boston. And even though there wasn't Twitter then, there was some mumbling from the, from, from those of us who didn't live in LA or in Boston. Um, this is part of the game of basketball. And just as unlikely as it was when I was in law school, the Golden State was one of the worst teams. And again, all NBA players are fantastic, but it would have been a joke to even consider that Golden State would one day um, be counting championships on its, on its, on its two, two hands. Every, everyone's going to grumble, but you know what? Everyone's going to watch. And it's going to be a great series. If the best teams in our sport specifically are mm-hmm. often determined by the best player or the best combination of one or two players, mm-hmm. uh, or two or three players, I should say, um, what what could change? What rule could change? What CBA, you know, <laughs> rewriting what part of the CBA could change that would give a level of parity similar to other sports? Or is is our sport always just going to be so much driven by the best three to five players? I, I can't say that I can make a, an informed or intelligent argument about what other sports are doing and what we should do or what we can do, because I'm not as familiar with other sports. I do think, though, that in our sport, and as far as the CBA is concerned, one of the things we fight very hard for for our players is the freedom of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the extent there's ever any suggestion that, well, we need to have and I, those those two words, competitive balance, of course, come to mind, it generally necessarily means some restriction on player movement. And so we always, that is the PA, always errs on the side of player freedom. Um, and if, if the, a reduction in player freedom is the cost for, quote-unquote, more parity and more competitive balance, we will resist. Yeah. Um, it is just the nature of the game that if you have the better players, are going, their team's going to have the better chance of, of making it to the playoffs. It's not, not, a, not the rule because a lot of the, what we got 28 teams that are not playing with phenomenal players that are at home watching these games. So I don't worry about it. I think it's um, it's it's interesting. I love the way teams strategize. I love the way players strategize in terms of where people land. This kind of squawking always takes place at finals. I mean, it always does. Because unless all 30 teams are in the finals, <laughs> you got 28 uh, cities filled with fans that are wondering if there's a way to improve it. What they really want is a way to get their team in the finals. And I, I get it. I live in New York. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Doc Rivers used to always remind us, uh, he used to always say, it's a competition, you know, and mm-hmm. it is a competition. Right. Like th- you're going to have a lot of unhappy players, a lot of unfulfilled players, and a lot of unhappy and unfulfilled fan bases mm-hmm. this time of year. That's just the reality. Absolutely. Um, I know you're, you're on Twitter. You have a, you have a Twitter account. Mm-hmm. I don't know how active you are and how um, much you kind of follow along with the NBA Twitter timelines and storylines. But to me, it's like one of the most fascinating parts of our sport. 
Um, we had the the great emoji war of 2015 with DeAndre Jordan and, <laughs> right. and his hostage situation. There was soup throwing earlier in the season, which <laughs> was a whole a whole fun day on Twitter. You could make an argument that that all this stuff is actually is actually great for our sport, even though at times it may maybe seems like a distraction. As long as the back and forth um, doesn't end up becoming cruel mean, condescending, insulting, then I, I'm, I'm all for it. And it's, it's another way for fans to engage and for players to engage. Um, I, I, I frequently say I'm, I'm happy God let me live long enough to see social media develop because it is, <laughs> it is, it is both, you know, there's some, there's some downsides and you know, the bullying is obviously a problem, but it is a wonderful way to people to, for people to engage. I think it's brought our fans closer to the players. Um, there's a connection that that's always been that's always existed. I think between our fan base and the players, that's only been strengthened and enhanced by it. And it's it's particularly for me more fun to watch as a bystander the players engage with each other's each other on social media. Again, as long as it doesn't end up becoming cruel, it's 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 fun to watch, and I think it only adds another layer to the game's enjoyment. I want to get off of social media. <laughs> okay. There's some negative aspects about it are. that are sometimes troubling. But then I I even when I take a break, I think to myself, maybe I'm missing out on something, whether it's learning news quicker or, you know, possibly following along um with, you know, the the Rockets and, and mm -hmm. Clippers um tunnel fiasco. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to miss out on this opportunities. <laughs> and uh and, and you mentioned sort of bringing uh, players closer to fans and, and, and sort of that's being one positive aspect of social media. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's also allowed our players to be more active mm -hmm. um, in terms of speaking out and showing a different side. Why do you think our league specifically, our players, have a little more wiggle room to do that mm -hmm. um, than, say, the NFL? I you know, it's, it's always unfair to me, I think, um, for the NFL uh, to be compared to our sport because I, I, I think historically we are different sports. Um, I think there are a couple of things. One, one we're smaller. Um, I think in significant ways our fan base is different. It's younger. Some say it's hipper. I don't know that it's necessarily more progressive, but we do have a fan base that that. I think is demonstrably demonstrably different from, for example, the NFL. I think our ownership is is also different and much more entrepreneurial. It's younger, and th that makes a significant difference in terms of what the how the league is going to respond to things. We also have a commissioner that, frankly, I don't know Roger very. I don't know him at all. Never met him, and I don't know don't know that I ever will. But I do know Adam, um, and Adam is has been, as far as I'm concerned, respectful of our players in a way that's. That's that I, I frankly would expect of him, but I think clearly in a way that's a little different from the way um, Goodell interacts with with his union. Um, so our, there's a comfort level that our players have that I unfortunately don't think that the football players have because there's some inability for those players, the football players, to feel that they can trust the commissioner. I'm, again, I'm, I'm reading the same yeah. stories you are, but the only thing that I found that I cannot imagine ever happening in our game is not the imposition of a rule. Rules happen and there's some leeway that, that, that commissioners have. But what I found remarkable was the failure to communicate 
the rule change to the players, um, even if it were only to announce it. Um, I cannot imagine learning about a rule change of that significance from television. I can't imagine that Commissioner Silva would ever, I, I frankly say, disrespect our players that way. Um, and I, 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 again, I, power is power. You can do whatever you can do if you have the ability to do it consistent with your CBA. But there's a certain fundamental something called respect, which I do expect um, from our league. And thankfully, knock on wood, I've not been disappointed in receiving it for our players. And so you know, our players feel that they have more flexibility because I think, frankly, they do. So as a as a fan of, mm-hmm. of our game for a long time and as, as the NBPA executive director since 2014 um, and as, a, as an African-American woman, what does it mean to, to you to see guys like LeBron and Chris uh, gr- grow and take such an active role uh, in, in, this, in the social justice movement? Yeah, I'm old enough to remember, and I hope Mr. Jordan doesn't become angry with me, but I'm old enough to remember when, when Michael Jordan uh, made the absolutely accurate point that both Democrats and Republicans buy his shoes. And I absolutely defended that position at the time because my view has always been that the First Amendment means you can speak and it also means you don't have to. And so I've always sort of taken umbrage with people who presuppose that any athlete had a, had a, had a responsibility to say anything. We have the right as Americans to be verbal or agnostic. And so I respect players that don't choose to take sides. Having said that, uh, my own upbringing, uh, my own value system is such that I do believe that I personally uh, have a responsibility to speak out on things that I think are, are are unjust and for people that don't otherwise have a voice. That's how I personally feel. Um, and so when I hear our players, and you mentioned LeBron and, and Chris, uh, apparently have the same view of the world, uh, I can both as on a personal level feel and am, do feel very proud of them. And as an executive director, uh, as well, feel very proud of them and prepared to go to go to the mattresses for them in the event there's any 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 repercussion that that might might follow. Uh, and so, you know, our players. If I had a platform of 20 million people that cared about what I had to say, <laughs> oh, I'd be talking. Uh, I don't have quite that many, um, but I do think that when you have that kind of platform, I personally believe that you do have an obligation to speak out if you think that there's something that, that that you can affect. And I encourage any and all of our players who have similar feelings and and, and platforms to take advantage of that, because that's not something all of us are, have, have the opportunity to do. Um, it's been done responsibly. Um, there's not a single word that's been uttered that I've not been proud of. Um, and our, this union, this Players Association, will continue to support any efforts along those lines. So I feel pretty good about where we are. What What is your though? What is your like emotional reaction to this concept of stick to sports? You know, I, I, there's a, a a bit of a mama bear <laughs> <laughs> mentality that I have about our guys. A lot a lot of it's because I'm old as as dirt, but um, I, I don't know how any person who calls herself a First Amendment advocate could utter those words to anyone. Um, to suggest that 
your livelihood dictates your ability to speak out on a position or not is frankly, uh, I can say kindly un-American, but, it, but the more accurately, ridiculously stupid. And so when I heard it, my first response was, of course, to become angry. And then I decided I wasn't angry anymore. I just felt sorry for anyone who was, was so unbelievably uninformed um, that, that she would utter those words. And so I, I thought the response was exactly right, um, and that was to tell her to shut up. And unfortunately, she's still talking, but in any event, um, it obviously did not chill our players a- at all. Um, we, we, they've continued to speak out, and I don't doubt that they will continue to speak out. I want to change gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, our uh, license agreement recently expired, and our Players Association has has taken back those rights mm-hmm. uh, under a, a program called Think 450. From everything I've read, it, it your your you know your your goal for this is to go beyond just the normal amount of player licensing and mm-hmm. really show our players in a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, since you've become director, what what has surprised you, impressed you about our league that that maybe you didn't know as a as an outsider, as a fan? Yeah, as a fan, I I enjoyed the game and I didn't think about the game as anything other than a game. Um, it is a game. There's no doubt about that, but it's a business. Um, it's a very successful and lucrative business. Um, it's a, a billions of dollars are being made um, in connection with this game. Tens of thousands of people are being, are able to make and enjoy a livelihood because of this game. Um, but it is a business. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just didn't focus on the game as a business. I focused on it as, as, as a game, as entertainment. But I found... In addition to making that realization, what I found to my delight is that even though I didn't realize it was a business, the players did. Um, I frequently refer to our players as as CEOs of their own individual brands, and I've been consistently impressed with how our players are managing their brands. The group licensing, and, and you're right, we, we, we the the agreement we had with the league was was such that they that is the league managed our group licensing rights for us. Uh, we pay them a premium and we, we split the proceeds. While I noticed that our players understood that there was a business and were operating their own individual businesses, we were not as a union um, engaged in the same entrepreneurship, um, engaged in the same management of our revenue. So when we took our group licensing back, it was a reflection of our desire as a union, frankly, to replicate what our players were doing, and that is running our own business. Um, and we are. Uh, we will be one year old in about Four and a half weeks, July 1st, will be the first one-year anniversary of our having taken our rights back. And what we're able to do, and this is not to be critical of what the, the league was doing. We don't, we don't, we don't have any, take, we, don't, we take no issue with the, with the, the quality of the, of the work the league did. What we want to do, though, is put our own flavor on it. We want more of our players to be engaged in the management of our group licensing rights. We have a player advisory board that is now on board. Um, and we're trying to not merely secure sponsorships, but engage in entrepreneurial activity that reflects the the interests of our players, uh, the talents of our players, um, and utilize more of our players. Um, our players, in, again, individually have, been, have done quite well for themselves. The reason we selected the name Think 450 is because we want, as we promote our brand, our group brand, to have our sponsors, to have our fans, to have the world think 
of all of our players and the value that we collectively bring um, to this enterprise. So, you know, it's been a year. It's it's been a lot of fun. Um, what I particularly enjoy is the involvement of our players in in the process. And so, the first year has been feeling out the market. Um, we've done very well financially, as the players will learn at our summer meeting. If I might <laughs> plug that for July 10th in Las Vegas, and I look forward to it being even more lucrative in the years to come. I want to I want to ask you about money and players. Absolutely. Um, I had a Donald Foyle on my podcast a couple years ago, mm-hmm. um, and we essentially broke down what an NBA contract really is, yeah. the numbers behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about some of the pitfalls that players uh, make. Um, the statistic that gets thrown around, I, I, I believe, is 60% of NBA players within three years or five years are, are in financial distress. That's the number that has sort of been regurgitated. That's the um, erroneous number that's yes. been regurgitated. Yes, and so that's what I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> right. Because I have seen in my time in the NBA mm-hmm. a a fairly large shift in mindset amongst uh, my, 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 my teammates and mm-hmm. my friends in the league. Guys don't want to talk about their spending. They don't want to. They don't want to really spend money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like cooler now to invest. Mm-hmm. You would probably have a better number than that, and I hope you do because I think that going forward, there's going to be a different narrative mm-hmm. about athletes and and their money, and 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 there's going to be positive stories instead of the negative stories that we, we often so hear. And there already are. I mean, th- that number, that it, it is 60%. That's the number. Um, and I, I learned that, I won't bore you with the details, how faulty that math was. It, it's not, nowhere near accurate that at the time that number, that story was written, that 60% of former NBA players were dead, dead broke, which is what I think the title of the article was. Um, having said that, it, it, it is certainly true, and there's certainly anecdotal evidence of players who previously made a ton of money that had gone broke, some quite infamous. Um, thankfully, it was not 60%, but if it happens to one player, it's happened to too many players in my view. And you are correct. I, again, I, I came into the to the game having heard that number and sort of waited to see the bodies all over the graveyard. <laughs> and I didn't, not only, I not only didn't see that, but I began to speak and, and meet and talk with players who were doing... Quite well, thank you very much. Um, we do press financial literacy. The league does it together with us, and we do it independently. So you know, we certainly want to make sure that that men who are suddenly rich understand how to manage their money and how to avoid pitfalls. Any person, I mean, I can tell you stories about the foolishness I engaged in when I was young. I didn't have nearly <laughs> as much money as the players had, but you know, that's not something that's taught in school. People don't teach how to manage credit, what credit is, how to spend money, how to make investments, but what I have observed are players who are very attuned to wanting to figure out ways to manage their money. The average time spent by a player in the league is under five years. So players are mindful of that and they understand that this is the time in their lives that they are likely most able to maximize their earning potential. And so I hear nothing but stories about players engaging in entrepreneurial ventures while they're playing um, and, and recognition of the fact that at some point this, 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 this will end. But, but again, I mean, I, I don't think it's fair for us to not allow that not only is it tough to learn how to manage money, 
But there are lots of people with lots of not very good motives out there attempting to, I say, stalk our players. Yeah, um, that was the word I've, I've, I've heard you use before. It is absolutely the case that our players are being stalked. And part of my job, I get a lot of efforts by a lot of people, some with good intentions, but not always, trying to get to the players through me or the PA. Uh, we do a tremendous amount of due diligence ourselves. We invite the players to allow us to conduct due diligence for them. Players have taken advantage of that. We've done due diligence on prospective financial advisors, on existing financial advisors, um, on investment opportunities. We've had players come here with potential investment opportunities or persons who want to recruit them. Um, so it's it's a process of simply asking the right questions and not 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 engaging in blind faith. I, I am frankly, very proud of the job that I think our players are doing individually to protect themselves. Uh, but we're never going to let down, and we're always going to be available to both pr provide more education and, as I said, just do conduct the kind of due diligence that needs to be done by any investor, professional player or not, when someone you know, approaches you with a, with a, with a quote-unquote opportunity. So I think we're doing a good job. You you touched on this concept, but the, the thing, the other thing I've noticed is that more and more players are taking ownership of their fin finances. Mm -hmm. And that's the discussions I have of, and I've had over the last few years as I've gotten older and my teammates have gotten younger mm -hmm. is <laughs> really stressing the importance of that, is, is taking ownership, is knowing where your money is, yep. knowing exactly what sort of products your financial advisor is pitching to you and why he's pitching you those products and using the resources the Players Association has. You can explain this better than me, but can you just uh, sort of talk about the programs that are Players Association has for guys in the off season mm -hmm. and how that has helped, uh, not just while they're still playing, but as they transition into the next stage of their career. Okay. They're, they're, let me say that during the season, there are a number of efforts made both individually by the PA and, and, and in tandem with the, with the, with the league to have players address quote unquote, life after basketball. Um, many of them involve, you know, financial literacy, as we've talked about, but also having, giving players an opportunity to begin to think about their careers. The programs we have in the summer, um, we hope reflect the interest that the players have in potential areas, uh, to pursue after basketball. So we have, we have a number of players that are, that are keenly interested in real estate. Um, that's been an interest that they've had for some time. So we have a real estate program to help um, identify some of the issues um, and ways to prepare for engaging in both commercial and residential or any other kind of real estate. A number of our players are interested in franchising opportunities. Many ex-players have made that become very, quite wealthy um, in, in franchising. And so we do have a, a popular program on franchising. The biggest thing in the last couple of years has been tech. Our players are incredibly interested in, in opportunities in the tech world. And so, you know, we, we now try to, um, try to address that interest. Some of our players have interest in working in the, what I call the front office, the one, you know, GMs, uh, scouting, running. So we have a leadership program that, that deals with potential front office opportunities and how to prepare for those. And then, you know, you have the traditional coaching program, those guys that are interested in coaching one day, um, broadcast. Some of our guys are interested in broadcasting. 
We're now thinking about uh, doing something in the area of, of non-sports-related entertainment. A lot of our players have some interest investing in opportunities in, on the West Coast. A couple of our guys have already started their own production companies. Um, so what we try to do is gauge the, the areas that the players are interested in, um, and then hot areas that we want to just introduce players to, and then construct a program in the summer they're normally only four or five days to so give give a player a taste of what those areas involve, so that he, if he continues to be interested, knows how to pursue um, them in a more substantive way. This is when you guys are on vacation, and so we, we're mindful that, <laughs> yeah. that you don't want to yeah. work all year and then have yeah. to work more. Yeah. Um, so we try to be as concise as we can. And we, I should, the only other program I would refer to is when we started um, last year. A good, as you know, a good number of our players are international players, and they're not here in the states. That is during the um, the off season. So we started an international business program, just dealing with all sorts of just business, franchising, real estate, you know, any, any a number of other things in Milan. Um, that's become quite the hit among our guys. Um, and we're exploring other countries outside the United States for next year and the year after. Some some in Africa, um, some in South America, because we've got guys, as you know, all over the place. Um, all of it designed to help a player begin to decide what he might want to invest his time and money in uh, once he's no longer playing professional basketball on a full-time basis. I'm actually going to be in Italy uh, during the the three-day thing in Milan. Then you're going to be joining I will be, us. I will be sunbathing in, in, uh, <laughs> on the Amalfi Coast <laughs> and celebrating. Okay. I'm, actually, I'm actually there. We're celebrating our, our eighth wedding anniversary. Oh, okay. So, well, yeah. I'll give you a pass. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I'll give you a pass. Um, I actually just found out. Uh, I didn't know this until two months ago during one of our meetings uh, with the Players Association, mm -hmm. uh, our reps or whatever, that there's essentially, I don't want to call it financial aid, but mm -hmm. but there's a sort of a tuition uh, oh, yeah. reimbursement program. Absolutely. For, if you want to both get your undergrad degree, mm -hmm. um, in my case, you know, I've, I've spoken with someone mm -hmm. from the PA about, yep. you know, I, I want to go to business school mm -hmm. and, and kind of what would be paid for, what wouldn't be paid mm -hmm. for, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, which I just think is is phenomenal. Oh, I, um, I, I agree. That's one of the things we're really proud that we secured in the last CBA negotiations. The other reason, the, the final reason <laughs> that I think that players will, that, that this this 60% number will go down and mm -hmm. uh, and you'll, you'll, you'll hear more success stories. Well, you'll, you'll probably won't hear as many success stories. You'll hear less negative stories. Right. Is that guys are just, this is a fact. Guys are going to make more money, mm -hmm. and part of that reason was this, you know, big jump in the cap. And I have to ask you about smoothing. <laughs> looking back, sure. no, me. I do because because yeah, looking me. back, you know, two years later mm -hmm. now, you know, really fifteen, it started the, the free agency spending started in anticipation of this jump in the cap, and then mm -hmm. sixteen, obviously, the, there was a number of teams, most of the league actually flush with with cap space, yep. and then there was a little bit of a belt tightening last summer. And by all accounts, this summer will be mm -hmm. e 